because we knew that we were going to hear a story. They let us know that we were about to enter into something that was probably going to be entertaining, something that was going to paint things in our imaginations, maybe something that was going to be exciting or maybe even scary, but something significant because, man, we love to hear a story. Stories entertain, but stories also inform. In fact, stories interpret the stories we hear and the stories we tell help us make sense of our world. The stories we hear and the stories we tell help us understand our world and our lives. In fact, uh, one person said, we all actually live in a story. We live in a story. We view our lives. We, we view uh, our our world as a story that we are living out. We remember our lives as a story. We understand our lives as a story. In fact, we often sit down with somebody and say, hey, you know, tell me your story. Let, let me hear your story. You know, what, what happened to you today? And then we tell a story. Sometimes these stories get written down and, and they're called a biography. Or if you write it yourself, it's an autobiography or, or a memoir. But there's stories. And, and every day, the story of your life, the story of my life is getting played out on this stage. And it's a stage that in many ways we create for ourselves. Uh, who we are, what we do, who we love, it's all part of the story. Our dreams, our, our fears, our passions, our goals, you know, it's, it's all part of the story. And, and there's plot twists in your story and, and there's challenges and there's conflicts and there's lots of interesting characters in your stories. In fact, in, in the story of your life, some of you have some very interesting characters, right? In fact, some of us have villains in our story. Do you have a villain in your story? Well, I tell you, when, when I, especially when I was a kid in school, I, I had some villains in my story. One of them was named Eugene. Eugene was a villain, and his sidekick, Daryl. Eugene and, and Daryl, they, they were a couple of the villains in my story. I, of course, as I think back to my school years, some of the villains in my story were teachers, but uh, we won't go there this morning. Um, no, so we've, we've got these villains, and and. We see our, our lives as a story. We're the protagonist. You know, we're, we're the, the main character. We're, we're the hero of our story. But we see our lives as a story. And whether we realize it or not, just like a storybook, the words we use write the stories of our lives. The words that we use write the story of our life. A story doesn't get very far without words. You know, whether it's a fairy tale or a detective novel or a Hollywood movie or your life, words are what brings your story to life. You build and you shape the story of your life through the words that you use. Your words write the story of your life. In fact, you could even say that your words create your life. Think about it. Think about the words you say to others and, and how that shapes your life. Uh, how the words that you say to others has, has a huge impact on your story because the words you say, sometimes they open doors of opportunity. 
Sometimes the words you say close doors. Sometimes the words you say nourish the relationships that you have with others. Sometimes the word you say uh, destroy the relationships that you have with others. We're going to talk more about the words that we say to others next week. Or think about the words that you say to yourself. The words that you say to yourself have a huge impact on your story. Because I don't know about you, but I talk to myself. I talk to myself all the time. My wife talks to herself. Out loud. Often I'm sitting there and I hear her saying something. Pardon me, I didn't catch what you said. Oh, never mind, I'm just talking to myself. The words that we say to ourselves are, are hugely important. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And then there's the words that we say to God. And the words that God says to us. And the words that God says to us and, and what we do with them has huge impact in the story that we write for our lives. Has a huge impact not only for the story now, but for, for, for the story forever. In, in fact, how, how often, or how does a fairy tale often end with, with the words what? They lived happily ever after. You know, there's an ever after. And there's the words that, that God uses and speaks to us and, and the words that we say to God has tremendous impact on how our story ends. In fact, the first words of God's story that he writes for us, the, the most important story ever told, the, the story in which our lives are really just a, a small subplot, uh, start with words very similar to once upon a time. In fact, I think these words are probably where the storytellers got the phrase once upon a time. And what are the words? The first words of the Bible in the beginning. Now, I know sociologists have said that the most powerful forward phrase uh, in the English language is once upon a time, but I would like to nominate the first four words of the Bible as, as the most powerful words. I think, I think they're pretty powerful. In the beginning, God. And I don't know where you're at, but uh, you know, if you're just here this morning and you're just kind of checking out church or trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is all about, and maybe you picked up the Bible and, and you started reading the Bible and you probably started at the beginning. And if, if you read those first four words, can I just say that if, if, if you can get past those first four words in the Bible, everything else in the book is possible. Everything else in, 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 in the book Actually, the rest of the story can make sense if you can buy into those first four powerful words. In the beginning, God. But the plot thickens. Because if you keep reading, what does it say? You get down to, to, to verse three. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And verse three, it says, let there be lights. So God is a God who speaks. God is a God who uses words. And so it says, then God said, let there be. And that actually becomes a recurring phrase in Genesis chapter one. You read the rest of the chapter. I think it's about nine times it says, then God said. And if you keep reading through the book of Genesis, uh, by my count, about 59 times it says, then God said. 
So God is a God who speaks. God is a God of words. And that's significant. And I think it's incredibly significant that when God set the universe in motion, he didn't just kind of, you know, wave his hand or, or bang his golden scepter on the floor room of, of, of heaven, the, the, the throne room of, of heaven. You know, when, when God set this universe in motion, he just didn't tell the angels to, to, you know, go make something happen. He spoke. God said, let there be. And out of nothingness, God spoke our world into existence. Now, how he did that, how that happened is, is, is a mystery, but he used words to bring everything to life. And from the very beginning of time, words have been the tools that carry the power to create reality. In fact, I think we need to read that again. From the, from the beginning of time, words have been the tools that carry the power to create reality. Words have the power to create. And God has passed those tools to us. Our words have the power to create. Let's talk about three truths about words uh, real quick, just to kind of unpack this. Number one, we need to understand that words are a gift. Words are a unique gift from God to humans. One of the amazing things that makes humans human is that we have the ability to speak. Now, animals can communicate, and, and you know they've done the research, and some animals, their communication can be quite complex, but it is nothing compared to the capacity for language that we have as humans. Did you know that there's over 6,500 languages currently spoken on earth? In fact, some would say that it's closer to almost 7,000, 6,950 languages spoken on earth. Different languages and dialects. Do you know what the first most common uh, first language is, you know, uh, when we talk about first language, we're kind of talking about the mother tongue, the, the language you were born into and were raised speaking. Do you know what the first most common first language on earth is? Any guesses? Somebody said Chinese. You're absolutely right. Chinese. And actually, it's a group, I think, about 10 or 12 Chinese dialects that, that the group is, is one language. Uh, English is the third most common first language spoken on earth. Do you know what the second most common first language spoken is? I think I heard somebody say Spanish. If you said Spanish, you are right. It's Spanish. In fact, uh, my, my friend Joel, he kind of gives me a hard time, but Joel is uh, uh, from Quebec and he speaks French. French doesn't even make the top 10. You know, I, I, I probably, if I could apologize in French, I would, but I, I, I don't, don't speak French. But we have this amazing capacity for language, and I'm amazed that some of you are able to speak several languages. 
In fact, when we went to Africa a number of years ago with Shirley and Ken, uh, we went to the Democratic Republic of Congo, and, and that's a, a nation that's very troubled and, and is impoverished, and we were in the city of Bukavu and in a very needy city. But what I was so amazed at is that most of those wonderful people had an incredible capacity for language. They could speak a tribal dialect, probably two or three tribal dialects, and then they could all speak Swahili, which was the trade language of, of East Africa. And then many of them, most of them in fact, could speak French and English. And so, so many of these people could speak four, five, six different languages. And then I show up as the educated Canadian and they say, how many languages do you speak? And I like, well, I try to speak English and I can speak in tongues. And that's about it. And yet they, they, you know, their capacity for language was amazing. Well, where does this capacity come from? Well, I think we have to again go back to Genesis chapter one to understand where the capacity for language comes from because God said, let us make human beings in our image. And we've already said that God is a God who uses words. God is a God who speaks. And part of what it means to be created in the image of God is that God has given human beings the gift of words. Some of you are incredibly gifted. (laughs) But we have the gift of language and we're the only species on earth that can communicate our thoughts and our feelings and our dreams and our our hopes and our plans uh, using words. We're the only species that can even write it down. We create databases and encyclopedias and we write stories and novels and dictionaries. Animals can communicate on some level, but even the most complex animal communication does not come remotely close to the ability that God's given you and I as being created in his image to communicate, to use words. So words are your unique gift from God and words are powerful. In fact, words are incredibly powerful. Given the propeller wash of words that we swim in every day, I think it's easy to forget just how powerful words are. Do you remember Napoleon Bonaparte? No, not Napoleon Dynamite, Napoleon Bonaparte. Just had to throw that in there to see if you were awake. So so Napoleon was the emperor of France about 200 years ago, and he said this, if I were to give liberty to the press, my power would not last three days. And, you know, given our current context, uh, we live in a time where many would argue that the power of the press or the media has been marginalized, uh, you know, in different ways. So I find Napoleon's words insightful. But political leaders have long understood the power of words, the power of words to hold people in oppression and slavery, the, the power of words to spur people to courage in times of crisis. This is the Remembrance Day weekend, and... I was thinking that in some ways, uh, World War II was as much a war of words as it was a war of bombs and bullets. Because you, you think back to how Hitler led Germany to infamy through his mesmerizing speeches. The man was, was an orator. 
an evil orator, infecting others with hate. And then on the other side, there was, you know, Prime Minister Churchill, who rallied a beleaguer England with his bracing call to, histo- uh, to heroic, hero, hero, heroic. He was a good orator. You know, he said, we'll fight on the beaches, we'll fight on the landing grounds, we will never surrender. Another speech he gave, we will never, 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 never give up. You know, and he called the nation to courage. And today, 70 years later, and many conflicts later, we speak powerful words of remembrance for those who served and for those who gave their lives for our nation and for our freedom the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. And I would encourage you tomorrow to find one of the Remembrance Day ceremonies that we have throughout our city, or at very least to to watch one on television and, and remember. Well, thinking about words on this kind of global scale has given me some new insight into the words that the ancient writer of Proverbs wrote in Proverbs 18, 21. What does it say there? It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, you think about Hitler, you think about Churchill, but it's not just the tongues of powerful leaders that have the power of life and death. It's your tongue. It's my tongue. Remember when we were kids on the playground, we'd sometimes get into these squabbles and we'd be yelling at each other. Maybe it was with your siblings or your cousins and we'd get mad and we'd start sticking out our tongues at each other and and yelling. And eventually somebody would say what? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Boy, were we misinformed. Now, I know some of us probably needed to toughen up a little bit. You know, we were a little sensitive, perhaps. But the reality is, is that other people's words can have incredible impact on us. And our words, the words that we speak, can have incredible impact on others, whether we want them to or not. Our words can hurt. They can wound They can destroy. Our words can also encourage. They can strengthen. They can empower. There's been times when I have been very hurt by people's words. Words of criticism, cutting words, controlling words. And it's sad to say that I know I have also hurt people with my words. But I've also been incredibly encouraged by people's words. Your words have encouraged me. Isn't a week that doesn't go by where I don't receive encouragement from one of you, one of the, one of the people in, in our church. And it's meaningful. It, it fills my tank. Every Sunday, somebody says to me, Pastor, let me just encourage you. That, was, that, that message spoke to me in some way. And you know, often I'm, I'm talking with other pastors, whatever about it. I say, you know what? Our church, it is so 
wonderful to preach in our church because people, they just, they, they feel, you feel like they're just eating up your words and, and they just respond to, to what you say and, and they're so encouraging. In fact, I got this note, uh, I guess a couple of months ago now from one of our interns that we have here and it says, Dear PD, um, PD, that's me, Pastor Darcy. Uh, Thank you for everything that you do for our congregation. The more time I spend in the church and the more time I dive into leadership, the greater my respect grows for people like you. Ministry is hard stuff. So thank you for putting your life into it. Thank you for spending your emotional energy on our church. It's a blessing to be learning how to lead in a church with pastors like you. It's not just me, it's our pastoral team. So thanks for always remaining, and then she's got in brackets, relatively, ha-ha. So thank you for always remaining relatively calm, (laughs) even when we're all being being hooligans. You're a great leader to have. And, And, yeah. And I don't share that to, you know, kind of pat myself on the back or anything other than just to say, I value that word of encouragement. It built me up. It was, it was words of life because words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, words are powerful. Take them seriously. That's how it it puts it in the the message version. It says, let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning because words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Now, those are some powerful words. So why are words so powerful? Well, because words create. Words create your world. Your words write the story of your life. Now, we already looked at Genesis chapter 1, where nine times it says, Then God said... You know, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then God said, let there be plants, and there was plants. Then God said, let's create humans. And he did. And God set creation in in motion. And from the beginning of time, words, God's words have been the tools that carry the the power to create reality. And, And friends, God has passed those tools to us. In fact, as Nelson Searcy has said, you and I are never more like God than when we use our words to speak the truth of his will for our lives into existence. We have been created in God's image and in God's likeness, and because of that, there is a spark of his creative power in us. And there is a spark of his creative power in the words that we speak. Now, I'm I'm not suggesting that the power we possess is even remotely as powerful as God's power. I mean, you can use all the words you want, but you're never going to speak a universe into existence, okay? (laughs) You know, uh, but there there is a, a spark there. And there is a very real way in that our words create the world that we live in. 
Now I know when we get talking about words, uh, if you've been around church for a while, we get nervous because you probably know how this idea has been stretched out of shape and exaggerated and then overstated. And sometimes, you know, that kind of teaching gets labeled as word faith teaching or prosperity teaching. Or, you know, even outside the, the, the church, there's been stuff like, you know, the secret. Have you, have you ever heard of the secret? You know, you speak your words to the universe. Those words are, are, are going to come back. And, and we get thinking about words and we got think, start thinking about that kind of stuff when we get nervous. But uh, and in reaction, some of us have gone to the other extreme and we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and we don't pay enough attention to words. But scripture is very clear that our words are powerful. And in fact, if we ignore this truth, we ignore what Jesus said. And so we need to pay attention to our words. The words we use have a monumental effect, not only on the immediate details of everyday living, but on the overall trajectory of the story of our lives. There is something creative and there is something powerful about your words. Your words set the direction of your life. Let me give you an example. If you're married, how many are married? How many wish they were married? Oh yeah, a couple of hands. You know, you could meet, uh, I saw another hand down. Anyway, okay. <laughs> if you're married, at one point you probably stood at an altar and you used your words to enter into a covenant with your spouse and with God. And let me tell you, that was a direction-setting set of words, wasn't it? You probably said something like, I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife. At least that's what I said. Aileen said, I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband. And the next line, if you use the traditional vows, was something like to have and to hold from this day forward. And we really like that line. Uh, but then it says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. Talk about powerful words. Talk about words that set direction for your life. Those words catapulted you into the deepest commitment two people can make to one another. They're powerful words. And, you know, as a pastor, I get to uh, perform those, those wedding ceremonies. And sometimes in those moments, I, I, I want to take the groom by the lapels of his tuxedo and say, listen, buddy, <laughs> are you aware of the words that you're saying to her? There's several different ways you can interpret that, but... So the words that we say in those moments set the course of our life, set direction to our life. But friends, it's not just the words that we say at the altar. The words that you say to each other every day after that continue to set the course of your life. In fact, research has shown that the single most reliable predictor of success or failure in marriage is your words. It's not how much affection you display it's not how good the sex is. It's not how many common interests you have or the kind of background that you came from or your economic status. You know, all, the single biggest, most reliable predictor of success or failure in marriage 
was the words that the couple spoke to each other. That's what the research has shown time and time again. What you say matters. And so those subtle put-downs, those belittling comments, the not-so-subtle criticism and complaints, those angry words, those nagging demands, they all take a toll on a relationship. In fact, according to Proverbs that we just looked at, you're actually speaking death over your marriage when you use those kind of words. In fact, your marriage will never be better than what comes out of your mouth. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a place for honesty and for forthrightness, but what kind of words are you speaking to your spouse? You know, well, what's the tone? What's the attitude? What's your word choice? One of the words that Aileen and I chose never to use, and we, and we, we made this choice back before we were even married. We said, you know, we're never going to use the word divorce. Not even in a, in a joking way in our relationship. So, so what kind of words are you speaking to your spouse? What kind of words are you speaking to others about your spouse? You know, do you make your, your husband or your wife the, the butt of your jokes? And, you know, that's easy to do. It's low-hanging fruit sometimes. I mean, really. If I was married to the person you're married to, I'd be making jokes too. I, you know, it's... But dude... There I did it. That's not in my notes. But you know, it's just so easy to tear them down, right? It's so easy to nitpick. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to, to just kind of poke in, in, in a way that, that undermines. Instead, friends, instead of doing that, we need to encourage each other. You, you know the word encourage? You can kind of break it down. It, the, the base root, the, the primary root is the word Courage. And to encourage someone is to pour courage in. We want to encourage. We want to create courage in their hearts. And friends, we do that by praising each other, by complimenting each other, by honoring one another, by what we say. And when you affirm the goodness in another person, they actually start to believe it. You're creating a world for them. You're, you're actually creating an environment that enables them to act in the way that you are affirming them. You know, when Aileen looks at me and says, you're a good man. The, my, my first thought is, I am? Oh, I am. I'm a good man. And I'm going to be a good man. I'm going to love the girl. I'm, I'm going to be the, the man that she needs me to be. I'm going to be a good man. She, she, she calls that out of me with the words that she uses. She's speaking life. She's creating a world for us and for our home. This was written to husbands, but I think it applies to wives, and it's a very famous passage that... The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, how? By the washing with water through the word. 
Now, of course, we understand that how Jesus does that for us is, is through the, the words of who Jesus is and what he's done, that there is forgiveness through his death and his resurrection, that there's life in his name. But friends, we also wash each other with our words. We can cleanse each other with our words. We can heal each other. We can restore each other with our words, even Jesus, as Jesus uh, does with, with his words for us. Parents, what words are you speaking to your kids? Because our words are powerful. Our words create. Our words create a world not only for ourselves, but our words create a world for our home. Our words create a world for our family and for our children. And you need to understand that your kids will rise to the level of your expectations. Your kids will rise to the level of the world that you create for them. And so if you keep telling them that they're terrible brats, you're creating a world for them to be what? Terrible breath. You know, sometimes I'm shocked about what parents will say about their kids in front of their kids. Um, you know, my kid is such a fill in the bank. My kid is so shy, or my kid is so fearful, or, or so anxious, or, or so much of a brat. And, and often I want to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Do you realize that they're standing right there? You know, your kid's standing right there. They can, they can hear what you're saying and, and that your words have power. Your words are actually creating and affirming a world for them, an understanding of, of who they are, creating expectations for them to live up to. Aileen is a registered nurse, and she sees parents create worlds and create understandings for kids all the time because, you know, families come in and sometimes Aileen has to, uh, you know, give the, the child a, a shot or something like that. And, and there's mom or dad sitting there going, oh, this is really going to hurt. And Aileen is like, just don't, don't say that. What does the nurse say? Oh, this is a little poke. You know, because we create expectations, you know, um, other things that she, she hears in the waiting room, you better be good or the nurse is going to get mad at you. And she's like, like don't, don't make me the bad guy. I, like, I want to I work with you. I want to create a good experience for your child in a healthcare setting, you know. But our words create environments. Our words create worlds. They set direction for our lives. They write the story that we act out. And what we don't realize is that we're actually creating an environment that we live in. We're setting the stage, with the words that we use, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. So we need to be careful with our words. If you want to read about words, go home, read the book of Proverbs. So much good stuff in there about our words. In fact, look at this one, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. It says, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked just overflows with evil words. But the heart of the godly thinks carefully. 
How many words do you say? How many thoughtless words do you say? What kind of a world are you creating for yourself, for your family, for your friends? Will you think carefully before speaking? Remember the sociologists who wanted to find the most powerful words in the English language? I don't want to leave you hanging. So, so the, the fourth or, or the most powerful four-word phrase was once upon a time, but the most powerful three-word phrase was, I love you. The most powerful two-word phrase was, I'm sorry. The most powerful single word in the English language, I Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about the words that we say to others and the words that we say to ourselves. But this morning, can we start by understanding that, as we've said, from the beginning of time, God's words have been tools that have had the power to create reality, and he's passed those tools to us. And we need to take our words seriously. We need to speak carefully. In fact, over these next three weeks, can can you make this your prayer from Psalm 19, verse 4? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In fact, can we say that together? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In fact, can I ask you to stand? And as we close our service today, could we use this as a prayer? Could we pray this together over ourselves, over our lives, over our families, over our work environments? And you probably need to keep your your eyes open, but let's, let's pray this together. Dear Lord, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. We would love to speak words of blessing. We would love to speak words of prayer uh, for you. If you're here this morning and there's something going on in your life, your family that we can pray with you about, our, our prayer team is going to be right through those doors in our prayer lounge, and we'd love to be able to just speak words of life. Otherwise, friends, God bless you. It's been great to have you here this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to, to Jesus this week. Amen.